recording. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. My name is Eric Demchak, alongside Stephen Trinkwald, and we are soldiering on with our 2022 team outlooks. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the LA Sparks, Stephen. That's right. A team that still has a, I guess, somewhat significant pick to make in the draft, but uh, most things, I think, roster-wise are figured out and kind of how they will shape up this upcoming season. Uh, the Sparks last year, though, finished 12-20 and in the regular season, tied record-wise with both the Mystics and Liberty, um, but with tiebreakers, they ended up 10th in the standings. They were the ninth best team in the league, net rating-wise, at negative 5.2. They were the worst offense in the WNBA, 92.3 points per 100 possessions, but for the third year in a row, the third best defense, 97.5 defensive rating. And a team that, you know, controlled their own destiny in the final game of the season could have made the playoffs by beating Dallas, who had their seating locked up and really nothing to play for in that final game. But they fell short and, um, you know, they were a lottery team without a lottery pick. Not a good position to be in, although, of course, they did some uh, really cool things this offseason to kind of... Uh kind of put themselves back into contention. We can talk about that as we uh, as we go on with the show. But first, let's talk about the Sparks in uh, 2021. I think, Stephen, those those offensive and defensive ratings, they kind of speak for themselves uh, at, at when you're talking about what kind of a team the Sparks were last season. Um, they were a they were on the struggle bus offensively. They're a very defensive-minded team, perhaps out of necessity. They really, really got after it on the defensive end. And on offense, well, they were technically playing offense, but it wasn't very efficient. No, it was pretty bad. Um, but let's start with the defense because I think, you know, usually we start with the offense, but the defense is definitely the story for this definitely, team, I definitely. think. Um, and in some ways, I think this team was able to kind of like subvert conventional wisdom a little bit. Like usually playing bigger, more traditional is kind of associated with playing a more defensive style. Going small is more associated with, you know, opening things up offensively. But this team played small a ton and they used that to generate good defense uh, with their athleticism and opposing 23% uh, opposing turnover rate, the highest in the league in a decade since the 2012 Indiana Fever uh, forced 23% turnover. So essentially, almost one in every four possessions uh, on defense, they were forcing a turnover. So, I mean, that is just an an insane figure. Um, That aggression was twofold, however, as they were also putting opposing teams at the free throw line more than anybody else in the league. But that was their style, right? They were really getting after it, as you said. Yeah, and... Part of that was because, like I said, I think it was part of it was out of necessity. Um, and also, this team did not have very good injury luck. I mean, of course, you could say that every team had bad injury luck, but the Sparks were hit particularly hard. You know, Neko Gumake, I think. This, of course, was the first season in uh, in L.A. without Candace Parker and without Chelsea Gray. Um, so I think as a fan, I was kind of looking forward to Neko Gumake kind of, quote-unquote, having her own team if you will. Uh, she played 18 out of 30, out of 32 games. And her sister, Shanae Gumake, only played seven games, uh, suffering a variety of maladies. Uh, Christy Tolliver, 19 games played. Maria Vadiva did not show up at all. So that's some pretty serious horsepower there. You know, maybe, maybe no players you consider to be elite, but within the context of this team, you know, some, some major, major, major absences. And that kind of forces Sparks to redo their identity on the fly you know you said as in previous seasons you know they were considered to be a defense first team this uh past season it was defense or bust you know i mean it was pretty clear they weren't gonna be able to hang with teams they weren't gonna be able to win many shootouts so they kind of had to force those a lot of turnovers and to their credit they did a really good job of that yeah and nothing really 
jumped out in terms of like their defensive shot diet. You know, they, they did allow a ton of threes and, you know, it's not like they had any outstanding shooting luck in the uh, opponent's three point percentage. Um, but, you know, despite not giving up a lot of two point attempts, opponents shot the worst percentage in the league on those long twos. And then opponents also shot the worst percentage in the league from floater range, that six to 10 foot zone which is interesting. Uh, I, I don't really know how much of that they control. Um, but they were also, of course, you know, playing with so little size, so much of the time, the worst defensive rebounding team in the league. So, I mean, just to, to combine being the worst rebounding defense and the worst free throw rate defense and still be top three because of just the monstrous turnover numbers and being the number two defense in terms of two-point shooting. I mean, yeah, this team was was flawed. But with all that being said, I... You know, they didn't make the playoffs, but I do think they were kind of like the best of like the five bad teams, you know, despite losing out to the, you know, the Liberty made the playoffs instead of them. At least this team kind of had an identity they could play towards um, that fueled effectiveness on at least one side of the ball. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think I agree with that. Um, you know, part of the WNBC, the, part of the uh, the perils of a shorter season like the WNBA plays in is that you are, of course, subject to a little bit of noise there and a little bit of uh, variance. And the Sparks, you know, I, I agree with you. I think they were a better team than New York. I think they were a better team than Washington. Um, but they just got the short end of the stick when it came to the tiebreakers. Of course, you do have to go out there and you do have to win your games. The Sparks were not a good team last season. Um, but there were, you know, I, I don't want to blame injuries completely, but I think if the Agumake sisters played in like just two or three more games, we would have seen the Sparks in the playoffs last season. At, at least Neko. I don't know yeah, really at how least much Neko, yeah. can give at this point, but yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah. Um, what else do you have to say about their defense? Uh, not too much more about their defense. I mean, just, uh, again, that 23% turnover number is, is just uh, an extremely impressive number. Um, when compared uh, to that, when, when coupled with that uh, that opposing free throw rate and the opposing offensive rebound, that, that is very wild. That is, uh, that, that's quite an outlier, isn't it? Yeah, and then they, I mean, they've led the league in turnover rate the previous season as well, and that was like, you know, almost 21%. So just to kind of ratchet it up a, a couple more percentage points um, is... A really high number, um, but as the defense went, the offense struggled. This was a team that could not make a, a bucket at all. They were 10th in true shooting percentage and 10th in effective field goal percentage, and I mean, they just didn't really have anyone that could make a shot, right? The only player who both took at least five threes per 36 minutes and made over 35% of them was Nia Coffey, who you know didn't exactly have the most threatening reputation coming into the season nor does she really have like the most versatile jump shot, really kind of just like a standstill jump shooter. So, And then after Coffey, who led the the team in total three-point attempts, the next five players in terms of their total three-point attempts combined to shoot 31.5%. So it was a real struggle in terms of actually just making the open shots that, were, uh, that, that their team was getting. I'll take that one step further and say that they struggled creating open shots as well. Of course, that kind of goes hand in hand. If, if you don't have any respectable shooters from out there, you know, teams aren't going to you know, go out of their way to, uh, you know, go out and guard them out there. Um, but I mean, if you look at these field goal percentage, uh, by distance ranks, you know, they got uh, split up sparks were 10th from one to five feet, 12th. So dead last from six to 10 feet, seventh from 11 to 15, eighth from 16 to 21, eighth from 22 to 26 and 11th on, on really long three pointers. So they weren't efficient anywhere. You know, maybe you could say, okay, some some of these uh, poor shooting teams, you could say, okay, well, they can't shoot the three, but they're really, really good inside. Sparks weren't particularly good anywhere, Stephen. Yeah, and because, as you are saying, they didn't really have anyone that could really generate 
good shots for others. You know, it was a lot of jump shots off the dribble by players that are you don't necessarily want taking jump shots off the dribble. They were 12th in uh, jump shot off the dribble efficiency. That's last. There are only 12 teams. And you just go player by player here outside of uh, Erica Wheeler and Christy Tolliver, who were in the 70th and 75th percentile, respectively. Like Those are, are very good, and they led the team in attempts. I think that just speaks to how bad everybody else were, that those two players were 1-2 and two in attempts and had a pretty good percentile, and they were still 12th in jump shots off the dribble because Taya Cooper, 10th percentile, she was 10 for 44. Brittany Sykes was in the 19th percentile. She was 17 for 64 in jump shots off the dribble. Nia Coffey, 10th percentile. Arella Garantes, 22nd percentile. Like The list goes on and on of players who were just taking a lot of shots that they were not capable of making. And even if you say like, oh, well, they were capable of making them. If, if you look at the frequency of, of jump shots off the dribble, that's probably not something I'd want my team to have so many players leading the league in, you know? Yeah, you typically have, you know, one or two players that you uh, want taking those shots. But So I that, think- that, that speaks to the overall inefficiency of the Sparks offense and just the their overall struggle at manufacturing good open shots. Uh, I would say that this team had a little bit of a, a shining light offensively, um, a silver lining, if you will, and that was Erica Wheeler's season. I think she had, um, you know, a better season, I think, maybe than I would have expected in, in this type of offensive environment f- uh, for Wheeler. 50% true shooting, you know, for a point guard, that's not amazing, but it's fine. 43% on twos, a tick under 36% on threes. And I think those are numbers that you probably take from Erica Wheeler. The the two-point percentage, you know, 43%, that's not amazing, but it's right in line with her career norms. And then the outside shooting was well above, you know, what you can typically expect for from Erica Wheeler. And I think the most impressive thing about her season, and maybe that's because of kind of the athleticism and the smaller players that this team was playing with, is that she was able to take almost a third of her shots in the restricted area, which is much, much higher than what we've kind of come to expect from Erica Wheeler, where she, you know, in those Indiana seasons in a similarly maybe not friendly offensive environment, you know, really kind of living in floater range and mid-range. Um, so for Wheeler to be able to get to the basket a little bit more, um, kudos to her. And then also, you know, the five assists per game. So uh, I don't really think you can kind of pin the poor offensive performance on Erica Wheeler. Um, even if, you know, her overall numbers are not amazing, they were good uh, in comparison to kind of what you could expect with this offensive ecosystem. I agree. I agree. I think there was a little bit of hesitancy uh, to crown Erica Wheeler like the next start, next great starting point guard for the Sparks, considering, you know, she she came off a, a 2019 season with Indiana where like she just blew all of her other career numbers out of the water. So you figured, okay, maybe a little of that was uh, jump shooting luck. And of course, she did regress a little bit, but you know, I, I think she was solid. She was decent. She was serviceable. Um, not spectacular, but if you look at this team, there are certainly, as you said, many many other uh, culprits of, of driving inefficient offense. And Erica Wheeler was. Yeah, and I think, you know, the worst offenders, I think, of kind of the poor offense were those Taya Cooper lineups, the Arella Garantes lineups. These were players where, you know, they individually really struggled offensively and the lineups really struggled, you know, uh, when, when those players were out there. But we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more when we kind of, because those are two players that are competing for each other uh, on the back half of the roster. But um, I think we should maybe just talk a little bit before we move on to 2023 about Brittany Sykes' season last year. You know, her surface level stats, nine points, four and a half rebounds, almost two steals, a half a block per game, 
first team all defense. This was the second straight season she made an all defensive team. Um, the efficiency took a, a big dive back down to her career norms from the uh, the bubble season. 47% true shooting, 26% from three on only 42 attempts throughout the whole season. Her three-point attempt per 36 minutes is you know, more than cut in half from the prior season. Obviously playing with much better players in 2020, and that was a team that actually open shots were being generated for other players and, and not so much this year. But I, I think Sykes was a little bit a part of that as well, kind of not really looking for that shot when the shot wasn't falling. But I'll oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, not who, what you consider to be a particularly efficient offensive player, but if there was a player on this team who kind of was the face of the team's identity, it was Brittany Sykes. Yeah, in terms of um, getting out and running. Defense, yeah. Um, yeah, forcing things, uh, you know, forcing turnovers, really pressuring up. You know, there was a little bit of hype for her defensive player of the year. And she was a menace defensively, to be sure. She uh, she was forcing a ton of turnovers and, you know, really kind of the one player on this team that could turn defense into offense. Um, this team got out and ran a pretty decent amount, but she was really the only one that could be efficient in any real meaningful way. And she was like, far and away their on-off MVP in terms of, you know, players that kind of really lasted in their rotation all year. This team had an 87 offensive rating with her on the bench, and then this otherwise very good defense gave up 102 points per 100 possessions when she sat as well. Um, she, to her credit, was able to do a little bit more playmaking while also kind of cutting down on her turnovers. Um, and I think, you know, why the offense was so much worse when she was on the bench was, you know, despite her not being a very good half-court player, you know, 21% of her possessions came in transition. And that was kind of how she was able to get this offense from, you know, unspeakably bad to just kind of regular bad. <laughs> and her her monster transition percentage, and, and she was, like I said, the only one that could really finish, only one of their high-frequency transition players that, you know, was an above-average transition player from an efficiency standpoint as well. So, uh, you know, the rest of the numbers, the things that you probably don't really associate with Brittany Sykes, they're, they're not good. You know, I mentioned the jump shots off the dribble. Also, 10th percentile as a pick-and-roll scorer. 31st percentile as a spot-up player, uh, 26th percentile on catch-and-shoots in spot-ups, and then 11th percentile on handoffs. So, you know, putting the ball in Brittany Sykes' hands in the half court was not going to result in some good offense for you, uh, as we could probably expect. But this just kind of leads me to, you know, how are you kind of feeling about Brittany Sykes, her fit on, you know, a team with maybe some higher aspirations? And then, you know, if you were this team, would you have prioritized her over Nia Coffey, for example? I think when you're asking that question, one of the issues is that Brittany Sykes' contract was not protective, right? Um, so true. I mean, it, it was in the realm of possibility that you know, and you know, I might be I might be speaking out of turn here. Maybe they had absolutely no intention of doing anything with Brittany Sykes, but before they were able to kind of um, kind of uh, finagle their way into some some pretty big offseason moves, we were kind of figuring, well, they can't do that much, so they may have to sacrifice you know Sykes' contract as an unprotected player to kind of get some roster shake up shake up here that did not happen um which i'm sure the sparks are thrilled at yeah to their credit they were able yeah, to do yeah. that without that definitely um so we'll talk about more about their uh pretty good off season in, in a few minutes here but yeah Sykes, you know I, I think comparing her to nia coffee coffee is a player who undoubtedly has improved a lot particularly last season uh did not consider her to be a very good jump shooter coming into the league when she really established herself as a, as a, as a pretty darn good catch and shoot type of player on the sparks team but i think sykes um, 
it's just she's like I said, she embodies the identity of this team, or rather, she did last season. You said on a team with higher aspirations, the Sparks will certainly have higher aspirations this season. So I'm kind of wondering if Sykes, uh, if, if her role is going to take a little bit of a hit, if her minutes per game are going to take a little bit of a hit, because you know, they, they're bringing in Katie Lou Samuelson, they're getting Jazz and Walker back from injury. Um, you know, Chrissy Tolliver will maybe play a lar- little bit larger of a role on this uh, team that will hopefully be competitive rather than last season. So on a team that will not have to lean so heavily on its defense to be successful, what is Brittany Sykes' role going to be? So I think that's a very fair question. Yeah, and I mean, I do think that she... Uh, I asked the question about Coffee, but I do think she fits better than Nia Coffee. You know, she is more yeah. of a natural three. She can slide up to the two a little bit where this team does not really have a ton of depth. And she, you know, she is, like you said, she's kind of the heart and soul of this. Obviously, you know, Nekagumike is kind of like still probably their, you know, quote unquote franchise player. But in terms of how this team has played the last couple of seasons, you know, no one embodies that more than, than Brittany Sykes. And I think the on-off court numbers you, you cited pretty much say it all. You know, um, I mean, obviously there's a little bit of noise there. There always is, but with Sykes, I feel like she is a she's one of those players that kind of defines a team's culture. Um, and with that defensive that defensive relentlessness, I don't think that's the type of player who you just let walk after a type of season like that. So, I, I think Sparks fans should be excited that Brittany Sykes is staying, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think so as well. They did well in kind of remolding this this team a little bit and being able to to keep her, but also having some other options that are. Uh, very different than Brittany Sykes. And, you know, and I'm sure there will be situations where Sykes is maybe not not their best option, but let's get into it a little bit. They're, let's they're get into it. coming into this season. They they traded away Erica Wheeler and Gabby Williams, and then they lost Nia Coffey to free agency. And they brought in Kennedy Carter, Jordan Canada, Katie Lou Samuelson, Liz Cambage, and the number eight draft pick they'll have uh, in this coming draft. So, I mean, let's start with those that kind of wing rotation, Sykes, Samuelson, and Walker. How are you kind of feeling about, you know, that position? I do kind of feel like Walker's a little bit of a four. And, you know, Walker and Samuelson, I think, especially with Cambage in the middle, um, you know, can give you some minutes at the four. But Sykes, do you, you think she's kind of like a, a shoe-in for kind of, you know, the fifth player here in this lineup? Uh, Yeah, I do. I do. I, I mean, I don't think maybe I was a little uh, maybe I was a little harsh with my previous statements about her. I I think that she does give you something on, on defense and just you know not necessarily defense, but just athletically. That Samuelson and Walker are certainly not going to give you, and you st- you still do need a player who is going to go out and you can throw on the opposing team's best perimeter scorer. Other than Brittany Sykes, I'm not seeing too many players like maybe Jordan Canada, maybe, but she's a little small. So aside from Sykes and maybe Canada, I'm not seeing too many, you know, quote-unquote stoppers on this team. And I think that's a, that's a role that Sykes really, uh, really relishes. You're going to have to take the good with the bad with her offense. Um, but I think it's, it's, a, it's a compromise that Derek Fisher is very willing to make. Let's take a little bit of a step back. So at the, at the guard spots, they have Carter and Canada at the point guard. Christy Tolliver kind of uh, I got slotted in here as shooting guard. Brittany Sykes and Katie Lou Samuelson at the three. And then they have five bigs on roster at the moment. Neko Gumake, Jasmine Walker, more four-ish players. And then Cambage, Amanda Zawibi, and Shanae Gumake. So this is um, a pretty deep team. That, that brings you to nine. And then the, the roster will be rounded out with two of Taya Cooper, Arella Garantis, Lauren Cox, and the number eight pick. Um, I mean, I imagine the number eight pick is going to be a player that this team wants to go for. So really, I think you're kind of thinking of one of Cooper, Cox, and Garantis, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And that's that, that's an important decision that they're going to have to make here. If you look at, 
I mean, Garantes, I don't think they have as much invested in her as they do in, in say, Taya Cooper or the number eight overall pick. Um, she, of course, fell pretty far in the draft last season. And as you mentioned, with those statistics, she was not particularly impressive as a rookie when she was essentially forced into action. And, and Cox, you know, may, maybe as well. You know, I mean, she was kind of a she was kind of a last minute pickup there in the middle of the season. So, yeah, I, I think I would give the edge to Cooper and the number eight pick now. But I'm interested because you know how much how invested are they in Taya Cooper? You know, um, she is a player who they're going to want on their team for various reasons. But there are going to be some some point guards available in the draft around when they're picking who may be better. You know, names like uh, Destiny Henderson from South Carolina. Veronica Burton, I think, from Northwestern is an interesting name. So, I don't know. Like, looking at this team, their salary cap set up for the future, they've got pretty much everything coming off the books next season. So, I think it would be a mistake to basically say, okay, well, we need this. So, this is who we're drafting. I agree with you. Uh, I I think this number eight pick should definitely, maybe in three years, you know, Kennedy Carter and Liz Cambage are kind of still foundational pieces for this team. But, you know, everything aside from Carter is is kind of a blank slate after this year. So when you are looking at this number eight pick, for me, in, in my opinion, at least, I think you're kind of considering a player who can be good on the, the next version of the LA Sparks, uh, yeah. not necessarily trying to use this pick to kind of maximize this player's immediate ceiling and, and try to get a contributor for this year. But you mentioned some of those guards. I mean, I guess, you know, with, with relation to, you know, Kristen Williams, Destiny Henderson, Veronica Burton, are there any of those players that you kind of like more than others as a fit next to Carter? Or do you kind of see them all as more as like third guard potential? So, you know, it doesn't really matter who the starting point guard is. Uh, that's a good question. You know, I think when you talk about a fit next to Carter, the, the issue raised is that Carter is not really going to be guarded without the basketball as much. Um and and you're obviously going to want to take advantage of her strength as a pick and roll ball handler on the other on the other side of things. So, I would if I'm looking at a potential backcourt partner for Carter, probably the best off ball player. So I mean, Kristen Williams, her her strength is, is is slashing. You know, I mean, she's a decent spot up shooter, but her strength is attacking off the dribble. So she needs the ball in her hands. Burton, I'm not completely sold on her ability as an off ball player. To be honest, Destiny Henderson might be the best off ball player of this group because. You know, South Carolina, not really leaning into the three-point shot all too much, but Henderson does have really solid spot-up numbers from the past two seasons, actually. So, of course, on the other hand, you got to consider, well, what about defense? You know, Kennedy Carter, I would not consider her to be a very good or very engaged defender. I don't know if you'd agree with that or not, but ideally you would want her backcourt partner to to take the, to take the more difficult offensive assignment, right? Someone that can guard two positions, probably. Yes, guard two positions. So I think of those, of those names... Veronica Burton is, is one heck of a defender. Uh, so defensively, I'd go Burton. Offensively, I think I'd go Henderson. But we'll see. I mean, on the other hand, look at this wing rotation. I mean, obviously, if someone like Kirsten Bell falls to number eight, I do not think that will happen. But she would be an amazing fit. Ashley Jones, you know, she's got the three-level the three level scoring. Probably a poor fit defensively, though. And then how about Emily Engsler from Louisville? I think, you know, like defensively, you look at how this team wants to play. Like, there is no more versatile defensive frontcourt player in this class than Emily Engsler. So, I don't know. Like, I think, once again, you got to look at what's happening next offseason. I wouldn't expect this player. I don't think you need to make this player be a, an immediate contributor this this season. Yep, I agree with that. And then, you know, for the, the last, the other three incumbent players, Cooper, Cox, and Garantes, you know, Cooper, I, th- I think I'm maybe a little bit higher on her than you are just because I do think she's a really, really good defender, but... 
I mean, 48% true shooting on 24% usage. That is very bad. Uh, one of three players to, to be so high usage and be so inefficient. Dude. Now, okay, so let me let me let me back up here for a second. You're right. I'm not high on Taya Cooper at all. But look at her playing on this year's Sparks team with Cam Beige, with hopefully a healthy Neko Gumake, with hopefully a, Christy, a healthy Christy Tolliver. Then I don't think her usage is going to be that high. If it is, then they might have a problem. Yeah, but the other thing is that, you know, as a, a guard who had the ball in her hands a pretty decent amount and was kind of running the offense a lot, more turnovers than assists. I, I think that's yeah, also not good. Not pretty good. bad as well. Uh, you know, 33% shooting on threes over her career is not terrible, but, you know, a, a 28% three-point attempt rate. So she's not really taking that many. And, you know, when you're shooting 40% from two, you, you just got to take more threes, right? Like you're obviously not, you haven't been a very efficient two-point scorer and, to your point, you know, I think if if she makes a team, there's definitely going to be an opportunity for more catch and shoot opportunities, more kind of uh, play finishing than play creating. But she just hasn't been a good enough offensive player at this point through two seasons. And then Garantes, you know, similar to the number eight pick, I think this is a player you're holding on to, you know, for the next version of this team. Like, I don't think she's going to really be able to help this core of players this year. But if you're still kind of as the Sparks organization in on Garante's ceiling, then, you know, maybe maybe you're holding on to her for a little bit more. But, uh, you know, again, one of the worst players in the league statistically last year, below 30% from two, below 30% from three. She just needs to kind of rework her entire offensive philosophy. You know, she was not able to finish plays that were created you know within the flow of the offense everything just kind of had to be you know a couple dribbles in the mid-range and and again a a pretty low three-point attempt rate so you know I think I like Lauren Cox honestly more than either of those two players but they just you know they don't need a sixth big on this team Um, but that being said you know Cooper Cox Garantes you're probably cutting all these players if Maria Vadiva says she's going to come over and and actually gives you you know a real kind of backup center that can score efficiently and, and be a part of a good team so you're saying you would hold on to Garantes just uh, through the season, just for the sake of? I, I'm not saying I'm saying that's the case to do it. I think oh. I probably would still lean Cooper over Garantes, but you know this is definitely one that how each of them looks in camp. You know, I could see this being actual camp battle that that isn't decided until kind of okay. late before the season starts. I got you. I got you. Right now, probably one of my biggest ever draft misses. Uh, still a believer, just not sure if it's in this environment. Um, so let's, you know, maybe shift focus to kind of the, the top of the lineup, the players that will be playing a little bit more. How are you feeling about this core? You know, uh, Carter, Canada, Tolliver, the players that we mentioned before, Sykes and Katie Lou, NECA and Cambage, and then, you know, maybe Jasmine Walker, maybe Amanda Zowie B. What, what do you see as kind of how good this team can be? I think, well, they certainly have a heck of a lot more star power than they did last season. So I think if you're looking at team, the fit, the fit is kind of weird. You know, I mean, Carter and Cambage, like, Obviously, two huge names, two very dynamic offensive players. When I think of a potential fit together, I'm not entirely sold. I think there is, as you like to say, disaster potential for this team. But on the other hand, if you want to compete, you got to have high end. You got to have high end talent. Simple. And they went out and they were able to acquire some high end talent. We'll see how it fits together. But you, you need to take a, you need to take shots like that, like 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 the Sparks Sparks took this off season. Um, to me, honestly, you know, I mean, when they're on the court, you pretty much know what you're, you're going to get from Liz Cambage. Carter has not really uh, fulfilled her offensive potential yet for, you know, obviously various reasons. Last season in Atlanta was was a struggle. I am actually more more focused on Neko Gumake coming back and being healthy. How is she going to fit with them? 
because like the, the the fit with her and Cambage in the front court maybe not great. Well, um, well what I do you think about it? T- tell me a little bit more about what you think of that those two players in particular. Well, Cambage is obviously going to be operating mostly in the painted area, most mostly um mostly in, in the paint around the uh, low post area, and that's where Nekogumake is most effective. Now, granted, I think Nekogumake is a very very high basketball IQ player. So if teams double Liz Cambage, which is going to happen, um, Agumake is going to be able to find the seam. She is going to be able to find herself open for for basket cuts. You know, she's very good at moving out the ball. I think there may be a little bit of a temptation to move her to kind of like a stretch four role, which I would not agree with. I, I don't think you know she has improved that shot throughout the years, but I, I, I mean, she like hits them at a decent percentage, but it's just you know she she doesn't really take them. If okay, so if you are an opposing defense. Would you rather see Nakagumake at the rim or Nakagumake shooting a three? I'd love to see Nakagumake staying behind that because because that, that means she's not kicking my butt at the rim, you know? So I, I think there is, some, but there also is some staggerability there. You know, Nakagumake is very capable of playing a small ball five. And Kim Beige, let's be honest, she has not really been a high minute player for most of her WNBA career. So when that problem inevitably arises, I think you have a great, great quote unquote backup. Neko Gumake. Now Carter is the is a player who I'm. Well, well hold on. Let, let's stay with the big minutes for a little okay. bit because I I agree with you. I think there can be some really good potential for like a uh, a three big with Neka as the starting power forward, but also the backup center. And then I mean maybe it's Jasmine Walker kind of as that third big playing with you know when Neka's on the bench playing with Cambage and when Neka slides to the center playing with Neka Gumake. But yeah, the the spacing it, it's not going to be great, but Neka, you know, she's just so good moving without the basketball. You mentioned her basketball IQ, you know, just a couple of years ago she was among the league leaders in fouls drawn, you know, not even free throw attempt rate, right? just like loose ball fouls because she's just so relentless. She's she's going to give you killer efficiency and it's not a perfect pairing, but I just believe in, you know, if Neka Gumake can be the Neka Gumake of 2019 like I think you know she's just going to figure out a way to make it work she's not going to be standing behind the three-point line but you still can't bring the extra defender over her because she's going to find the front of the rim you know she's just such a better cutter than a lot of other kind of non-spacing bigs that you know Cambage it's going to be easy to take advantage if you know they throw an extra defender her way I guess and if they throw if they throw an extra defender at Cambage that's also going to open up the opportunity for an offensive rebound for NECA you know, I mean, she's got a great nose for the basketball as well, and you don't want to have a a guard coming. You don't want to have a guard coming over trying to help out and and trying to box out Nekogumake. You know. So for that third big spot, you know, maybe it's Jasmine Walker, maybe it's Katie Lou Samuelson playing the four. You know, maybe it's Amanda Zowie B. Which you do not want to see Shanae Gumake out there, do you? I mean, maybe it's Shanae Gumake. I just, you know, it's been two years since she. I mean, it's been three years since she left Connecticut, and she hasn't really been good in an LA uniform, yeah. you know, it, it's been yeah. a long time. I mean, it, it does seem like this team just kind of has two protected roster spots that they're just not really going to get anything out of. Do you, do you still believe in Shanae? You think she can still be an effective player, especially, you know, as a four when she's not, you know, she's a non-spacer like NECA, but I, I she's not as good as NECA. No. Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe that's, that's more of what I was thinking of, you know, NECA Gumake, I would, I would trust to move without the ball and, and, and attack the rim and stuff like that. Shanae Gumake, no, I don't think so. I think you need to play her at the five pretty much exclusively, which opens up, as you have brought up in the past, some problems with size, some problems with fouling. Um, but then is Amanda Zawibi going to play as her backup five? Because she can at least shoot the three. Is she going to be guarded out there? Well, that's a different that's a different question entirely. But I don't know. You, you have in your notes that you would not play either of them. I mean, I think that's kind of like the path to this team being pretty good is – a three big rotation as we were just outlining and 
you know, maybe Amanda Zawibi or Shanae, whichever one of those can kind of give you a little bit more, you know, playing maybe, you know, six, eight minutes a game as like the fourth big. You don't really need okay, to play sure. a fourth big a ton of minutes, you know what I'm saying? So, but Neke and Liz are also a little bit on the older side. In terms of Jasmine Walker, you know, obviously a player that we did not see too much of last year. She tore her ACL in the first quarter of the second game. What was your kind of pre-draft evaluation of Walker and how are you kind of feeling with her fit in this team? So entering the draft, I thought Walker was one of the most pro-ready players out there. Um, she's a combo forward. She's about six foot three, but I think she's, as a pro, she's almost certainly going to be better at the four because she can shoot it. She can really, really shoot it. She's got a really good looking spot up jumper, um, really pretty release. She shot almost 40% on 7.3 threes per game as a senior, which is awesome. Um, but at the same time, she's not really the type of player who's going to create her own shot off the dribble. She can post up, you know, um, she's got, I think, a pretty good feel for the game in that she'll recognize when she's got a mismatch, when she's got a guard on her, and she will immediately hit the post. She can hit the offensive glass when teams do not box her out or they have a small player on her. So, like, along those lines, I see Walker as more of a play finisher than a playmaker. And on this year's Sparks, that's a good thing. You know, you look at play, you look at Cambage, you look at Naka, you look at Kennedy Carter, a really strong pick-and-roll guard. You want players who can be guarded from beyond the three-point line and, and punish defenses if they get sagged off of. Um, especially maybe in, in bench units with Jordan Canada out there. Yes, yes. that's an, Yeah, right, Jordan Canada, another one. Um, I'm not sure. Here's the thing. I was not sure of Walker's athletic ceiling entering the draft, and that was prior to her ACL injury. So I'm concerned that she might kind of get bullied athletically as a rookie as she kind of gets her legs back beneath her. As we have discussed before, it usually takes longer than a full year for a player to fully recover athletically. You know, they can get back out there in, 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 in 10, 11 months, but fully athletically recovering, it's going to take them a little bit more time. So I think they're going to need to bring Walker along a little slowly, and that's okay because they do have Katie Lucy Samuelson who does theoretically excel at a lot of the same things that Walker does. It's just going to seem like a lot of skill overlap. You're going to have a combo forward in Samuelson and a combo forward in Walker more or less playing the same role offensively. She's not much of a defensive playmaker, unfortunately. She was yeah, never but, much. You know, I don't think that's necessarily a negative. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, it's but, not. You know, having if you're playing, you know, let's say Jordan Canada and Neko Gumake, or even Jordan Canada in Zowie B or Shanae, or you know, maybe hopefully even Maria Vadiva, and then the other players out there are Christy Tolliver, Katie Lou, and Jasmine Walker. You know, you have okay defensive players at some positions. You have uh, spacing around Jordan Canada to kind of make up for things where she can actually attack the basket and. There, there's not going to be many bench offensive environments that are going to be, you know, more suited for Canada's strengths than, you know, what we just kind of laid out there. Right, right. I, I apologize. I didn't I didn't articulate that very well. I'm saying, like, she may lose some minutes to Kitty Lucy Samuelson because they're a little uh, skill redundant. But you're right. You know, having having two good wing shooters is certainly better than having one good wing shooter. But, yeah, I mean, I think the game seems pretty slow from, for Jasmine Walker. You know, she, she sees the game well. She doesn't make a lot of bad decisions with the ball when she does get it in her hands. And I like her fit on the Sparks roster, you know, her spot up shooting, it's, it's really going to complement their post play and whatever dribble penetration they get. I think they could get some good results out of like a, a one, four pick and pop type of play with Kennedy Carter. I I'm just wondering how much she's going to play. And you know, if, if Samuelson just doesn't take most of her minutes as, as she recovers from that, that ACL injury, but um, a player I really, really liked heading into last year's draft and I could see coming back and making an impact. So do you think Samuelson will play more minutes as, as a three or a four? Because it sounds like, you know, I kind of view Walker more as a power forward. Um, yes. So, you know, if you're 
concerned about Katie Lou taking her minutes, you think she'll slide down to the forward, which I think could make a lot of sense, you know, next to a bigger player like Liz Cambage. Yeah, Walker, I think, is more of a four than a three. Um, Samuelson, I'm not sure, has a position, at least on defense. Um, but you, you, you think about it, like, Samuelson, I think her defensive um, deficiencies, you can mask them a little bit. What do you think? I mean, I, to answer your question, yes, I think Walker is more of a four and Samuelson is more of a three. But uh, when you have a player, I, it's who, probably you know a distinction without a difference in a lot of ways. Yeah, because uh, I mean, when, when Samuelson, she just this is the problem. This was her problem when she was in Chicago. This is the problem when she was in Seattle. This is her problem when she was in Dallas. She just doesn't have a defensive position. Granted, she's coming into a pretty darn good defensive culture, but. I mean, and I mean, we talked about Jasmine Walker recovering from an injury. Yeah. Katie Lou Samuelson left her uh, EuroLeague team to deal with a, a back injury as well. So we don't yeah, know how ready she'll be to start the season also. That's a bummer. But I mean, overall, you know, a, a very impressive roster overhaul to bring in skills that this team desperately needed, whether it was, um, you know, a young upside play in Carter or, you know, Katie Lou Samuelson. I mean, just a, a home run of her. You know, I'm not a, the biggest Katie Lou Samuelson fan, but I think the last thing this team needed was playing Jordan Canada and Brittany Sykes and Gabby Williams together. You oh, know yeah. What I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think reasons to have reservations for this team, for sure. For me, I think the biggest thing is Christy Tolliver. Like, they don't have another person who can do things that Christy Tolliver does on this team. And it's been, you know, I was talking about Shanae earlier. It's been a couple of years since we've really seen the best version of Christy Tolliver. You know, and, and she, coming into last year, she was a 39% shooter for her career. She only hit 33% last year. Obviously, the minutes were or an issue. And, you know, if she's not available and, you know, you're talking about playing Carter in Canada, heavy guard minutes together, or you're maybe sliding Brittany Sykes up to the two, like you just lose so much of kind of what could open things up uh, for this offense, you know, with Kennedy Carter and Liz Cambage, you know, kind of anchoring it, I guess. And Christy Tolliver is very much in the twilight of her career by now as well. So, I mean, if she's on a minutes restriction or if she ends up having to miss games, they could definitely regress offensively from from their potential at least yeah the other thing i would say is that you know liz cambage you know a player who i i think i'm higher on than some other like i think liz cambage is great but she's not she a pick and roll player you know what i'm saying like she is a, a post-up player compare her to some other of uh you know the elite centers in the league who can kind of do both like cambage has never really given you quality you know pick and roll efficiency and and she's played with some pretty good players right she was in uh, she was in Vegas where they, you know, didn't run a ton of pick and rolls, but she played with Skylar Diggins-Smith and did not have amazing numbers there. So, you know, n- not to say it won't happen, but it, it's never been kind of her bread and butter. And again, I got to go back to the minutes played. She didn't even play four, 24 minutes a game last season. Of course, there are, once again, you can play Neko Gumake at center and, and kind of uh, negate a little bit of that. But I... <sighs> I mean, I, I think we'll probably see that number go up, but still probably under 30, right? 28 minutes is probably what I'm Well, it's got to be under 30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 24, it's not high enough. It's not high enough for this team to reach its potential. How do you think Liz Cambage will kind of fit into this defense? Like, I, I think she might. This is an aggressive defense, but they've played with this type of center before. Like, they were yeah, successful. Yeah, they had a minute as be out there. And they had yeah. no problem for us in turnovers. Yeah, right? I mean, Candace Parker is a better more committed defender, probably a smarter defender than Liz Cambage, but a, a player whose skill set is not all that different. You know, she's more of a, a drop player. Parker is, is a little bit more mobile, of course, but, you know, she's not Nekogumike, like, switching out on everything. So, you know, they they do fall a ton. They allow a ton of threes. They have huge stocks numbers. I don't really see how Cambage changes any of those things in, in particular, and she's been a part of a, a very successful defense in the past in Vegas. 
Uh, one that looked a little bit different, obviously, like they forced almost no turnovers. They played a lot more conservatively and just kind of kept, you know, three or four players in the paint at all times. But still, you can you can play good defense with Liz Cambage out there, I think. You know what Cambage gives you that they didn't have before is a center who can match up individually with all the other really good centers in the league. So, I mean, I, I know post-up is, post-ups are not everything, but if you can go out there and, and play one-on-one defense against someone like Tina Charles or Sylvia Fowles or something like that, that opens up a world of possibilities for players on the perimeter like Brittany Sykes, right? Yeah, and I mean, Amanda Zowie B has had some nice block numbers, but Cambage is just a, a much better actual no, 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 yeah. defender, Can- like protecting the paint on drives and stuff like that. Like Absolutely. She's, she's a much better actual rim protector, even if the shot blocking numbers might be somewhat similar. Any other big like strengths or weaknesses for them? I mean, it's, it's so hard to know because we haven't seen any of these players play together, but like anything that kind of jumps out in terms of what this team could be really good at or, or big um, areas of concern for you? Well, they're going to draw a ton of fouls, right? Particularly in the front court. Kembeis is going to shoot a lot of free throws. Naiko Gumake is going to shoot a lot of free throws. If Kennedy Carter uh, gets that pick and roll game going, I mean, she's going to get to the rim like nobody's business. So I think foul shooting will definitely be a strength. Now, we'll, we'll, the other the other side of that coin is, um, will they be able to, once again, uh, limit the amount of foul shots the opponent shoots? Because kind of like the Las Vegas model from the past few seasons, if you can make hay at the free throw line while also limiting the opponent's foul shooting, like that's a great recipe for success right there. So this team has changed a lot, obviously, since last year and since, you know, even obviously two years ago when, when it was a totally different team. But they have been in the top three in defense the last three years. Do you think it's more like this team is a top four offense or a top four defense? And is there, is there any combination of players where they could kind of pull both off? I'm not convinced that the, a path to a top offense is there yet, but I think you disagree. I think the I think the ceiling to like the fourth best offense in the league is there, but okay, I think it is probably unlikely. Like you got to kind of have a premium Christy Tolliver season and Neko Gumake and Liz Cambage and an, another leap from Kennedy Carter, and that's a lot to ask for. You know, we've seen all of those things. You know, Carter be really good. Tolliver in her prime, you know, NECA just a few seasons ago, but at the ages that we're looking at, you know, you could probably say it's it's less likely than than likely, but I, I think there there's a reasonable path to them being a very, very good offense. Okay, that's fair. So where do you where do you kind of like put them, you know, in the hierarchy? Solid playoff team, but but not a contender, maybe fighting for the last playoff spots. How do you kind of think of this team within the rest of the league? I think no. I don't think they'll be uh, fighting for the last playoffs, but I, I think they'll be like a maybe a fourth or fifth seed. But let, let's look at who we think is better right now. Okay, uh, Chicago, um, Seattle, uh, Connecticut probably. Connecticut probably. Maybe Minnesota. You know, depending. You know, there, there's still some. I mean, if, geez, if you want to talk about age and health, that's that's a concern there as well. Um, but I think a healthy Minnesota team would be better than this, a Sparks team. So after that, yeah, I could say fifth or sixth seed. You know, not not elite, but certainly on on their good days, they could they could go out and, and, and beat up on a on a better team as well. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, th- this team strikes me as probably like a a really tough out as you know the lower seed in like a three six matchup, or maybe they can get to five or something like that. You know, I, I, I mean, I, they have they, they have the high end talent now that they didn't previously. So that of course it, it lends itself to saying like, okay, well if, if they if everything goes right, they could be like a top three seed. 
But at the same time, you know, there are some things that could go very wrong as well. There so, are a lot of everythings and the everything needs to go right. You know what I mean? Yes, that's that's a great way of putting it. Uh, anything else on this? You know, I think this is a team we're, we're both pretty excited. You know, there's a lot of intrigue. We have no idea what to expect. It, it could go really, really well. Yeah. It could go reasonably poorly. Um, but I think they're a good team that might not host a playoff series, I think is probably... Look, co- compared to what compared to the Sparks team we were looking at potentially from like a couple months ago, I'm a heck of a lot more excited about them now than I was back then. You know, Steven, I think I think one thing to watch for throughout this season will be that that next offseason angle because they're going to have so much... Like, there, there's, a, there's a scenario in which this Sparks team that looks dramatically different from last year's Sparks team looks dramatically different next season as well. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think that's... I mean, maybe we... You know, if, if, uh, this this team is, I think, a couple injuries away from being pretty tough to watch, uh, even with the, the two good players that they have. But uh, who knows? Let, let's hope for good health, I think. Yeah, hope um, for good health. Always, always. Well, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, which we always appreciate, you can follow, re, uh, rate, and review on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA. You can follow Eric on Twitter at E. You can follow myself at Trinkwald. And we'll be back next week, I believe, with the Seattle Storm. All right. Take care, everyone.